We're going to start our story today on June 18th, 2013. This was the day that Jason Goldberg, the founder and CEO of an online startup called Fab.com, announced that he had just raised a big round of funding. Online retailer Fab.com announced a new round of financing today that values the company at about a billion dollars. Now, that makes the company one of the most valuable startups in New York. A billion today doesn't sound like that big of a deal. I mean, Uber is worth, what, $68 billion? <laughs> but at the time, it was an incredibly exclusive club, a very rare achievement. Jason was in our Bloomberg headquarters in New York to talk about the success of his fundraising, and he was beaming on TV. The way we look at the world is that there are currently four uh, e-commerce companies that are worth more than $10 billion. Uh, Amazon, uh, Rakuten in Japan, Alibaba in China, and eBay. And we think Fab has a legitimate chance of being the fifth one. And but I as soon as he got off the set, he walked downstairs to meet with the jackals of the media, you, Sarah. I told him I had some documents to show him. He wasn't that excited about it. But the background is that a couple weeks earlier, I'd met a Fab former employee who told me about how dysfunctional the startup was internally, that they had missed the revenue targets a year earlier by over 20%. He introduced me to more employees, who introduced me to more employees, and I ended up with a stack of emails that showed a little bit about the company culture and, and how difficult it was for some people to work there, and, and also just how many executives had departed in the last year. It was about 11 people. So Jason had presented this rosy picture on TV, and then you presented him with these very uncomfortable internal emails. How did he respond to that? So the thing about Jason is he's he's kind of a politician. He's very good at getting people on his side, being a very sympathetic character, explaining his position. And so at the time we met, Jason was still very much in sales mode. He was like, you maybe just don't understand that the culture of our startup, maybe you need to come to our headquarters and we'll show you how it is to be fab. <laughs> so I presume you went, you visited the company, you drank a little bit of their Kool-Aid, and then you still publish a very harsh story. And what happens after that? It was kind of war at that point. Uh, Jason put out a blog post saying that there had been blatant misrepresentations in the story. He denied it all. He, he, he spun. But it turned out that wasn't a blatant misrepresentation, and it was really the beginning of the end for Fab.com. I spent the next year reporting on layoffs after layoffs, everything unraveled and eventually fab got sold for 15 million Hi, this is Brad Stone. And I'm Sarah Fryer. And this week on our very first episode of Decrypted, we're going to hear from Jason Goldberg. This is a particularly personal story for him, and it's a little bit of a personal story for you too, Sarah, right? Well, for, for me, it was just a, a constant back and forth between me and this entrepreneur back in the day, and now we get to actually talk it out. We spend so much time talking about all the successes here in Silicon Valley, but we really don't talk enough about what it's really like to drive an entire company into the ground and leave a smoking crater-sized hole. And failure is the way things end for the vast majority of tech companies. It's brutal, it's emotional, it's public, and it's kind of embarrassing. And for some reason, somehow, a lot of founders find a way to pick themselves back up and start a new company all over again. Jason's now launching an app called Peepo, and that's why he agreed to talk to me, probably so he can put all of this behind him. He called me the other week from Pune, India, where he was putting the finishing touches on his new startup before launch. 
you know, we had uh, all sorts of promise and opportunity and it didn't work. And, you know, I think my, my, my biggest emotion of it is, you know, just, you know, that I'm sorry. So let's take this from the beginning. Sarah, tell us about Jason and Fab. So Jason's not your typical engineer founder. He came up through the Clinton White House. He's kind of a serial entrepreneur with a a lot of suave personality. He gets his suits tailored at Bottega Veneta. He takes an Uber everywhere, doesn't take the subway. And he sort of got this presence. And he partnered with this guy, Bradford Shellhammer, who has this incredible design aesthetic. And together, they founded this site called Fabulous, which was a gay social network. And it wasn't really going too well, but Bradford, with his design chops, started picking out these products that he really liked. And he started doing this big gay deal of the day. This was at the the height of Groupon and Living Social. Everyone was going crazy about these things. And those deals really took off. And eventually, Bradford and Jason realized, that should be our company. So they shut that down. They launched this new site a couple months later with all of these really quirky, interesting products that you really just couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah, I remember how much attention and hope there was around Fab.com that there could be this large space in e-commerce outside of the Amazons and the Ebays for boutique products and eccentric product categories. You know, it took off like a rocket ship. Um, You know, when we launched, we had a really small team. We had... You know, I think we had 15 people at most in New York, and we had a team of like 15 people uh, in in Pune, India, and you know it 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 was it was kind of incredible. I mean, it was like we, we sold a million dollars worth of merchandise in our first 20 days. Um, we were profitable, on a, you know, kind of a cash flow basis in the first month, and it was like, whoa, like we really had something in our hands. And um... in just six months. Fab sold 20 million of merchandise. They raised money from investors at a 200 million valuation. And honestly, their biggest problem was that they couldn't keep up with demand. They were selling out of products too quickly and couldn't get things shipped fast enough. Right. And so what did this mean? I mean, they sound like good problems to have, but what's the challenge? I just heard about a lot of angry customers who had to wait for months before they got what they ordered. And while still dealing with all those issues, Jason and his executive team got wind of some copycat companies in Europe, and they decided to launch there and compete with them and crush them early. That was in early 2012. Yeah, I think when you have a lot of you know, smart people who tell you that, hey, you, know, you really should try you know, going to Europe faster, and we, you know, we saw what happened with Airbnb, or we saw what happened with uh, Pinterest, or whatever it might be, you, know, you should go and, you know, and, and try to you know, go in faster. I, I allowed myself to believe that, okay, you know, we should give it a look. And, and then once we gave it a look, we got really excited about it. And so, you know, Ultimately, it became a distraction for both Jason and Bradford. And at one point, they were spending a couple weeks out of the month there trying to set up the right teams and the right executives to run the Europe operation. While they still had all these problems in the U.S. with merchandising and now inventory, it was just getting to be too much. In our first year, we worked with more than 5,000 designers and sold nearly 2 million products. And our dreams for Fab are just getting started. And even while expanding geographically onto an entirely new continent, Fab was expanding into more product categories. This is about authenticity. 
This is about showing people products they will love and delighting them day after day. Adult products, pet products, all sorts of things that they had to find interesting, unique things for. Jason said that the quality started to deteriorate. Here at Fab, we believe we have a special opportunity to become the world's greatest design resource. On the outside, everything still looked great. I mean, I remember a spring 2013 story, fab.com, winning the e-commerce war with whimsy. Not quite sure if I remember who wrote that one. <laughs> I think that was you, Brad. Oh, right, that might have been me. Okay, that was me. But inside, as you found out later, things were starting to fall apart. Well, they were spending so much money on marketing, I think like $30 million in 2012. And the customers they were getting through marketing, per Jason's calculations, he thought that they would be as dedicated as the early customers. That's how he built all his projections. But in fact, they were kind of one and done, like they would buy one product and never come back to the site. And behind the scenes, he was out there frantically trying to raise money to fit those growth projections. But people were actually a little bit skeptical, and he fell short. He ended up with only $150 million of the $300 million he thought he needed. What, what yeah. feeling at that time? Because everyone who talked to you around then uh, describes you as just being completely, you know, religious about Fab's vision. And, and anyone who thought that, that the company maybe wasn't going to grow as fast um, would, would get talked out of it. It is quite possible that, you know, I think it's, you know, when you're in a situation like that, that maybe you, you can get somewhat delusional um, in thinking that you can just figure it out. Um, and also, you know, you, just, you know, it's like you you see that you know in, that that you're growing, and that if you can figure a way to keep growing, that you can kind of grow your way through it. Um, and I think it was also kind of a fear for what happens if we don't, if we, if we, if we, if you know, if we did hit, you know, slam on, the, if we did hit the brakes, and we said let's not grow as fast, that would that would have meant you know it's pretty draconian layoffs. And that brings us to the moment where we started today's show. With us now for an exclusive interview is Fab.com CEO Jason Goldberg. Jason, great to see you. Thanks for the scoop. Huge cash infusion for you and your company. What are you going to do with the money? On TV, things seemed to be going so well. Jason looked so proud. But in reality, he was backed into a corner. And then, Sarah, you present him with the emails. You know, I was very proud of the company, very protective of the company. And... um, and I also was scared at the time um, because, you know, I, I, I was in the, in, in the midst of you know, going through a fundraising process where, you know, we raised a lot of money, but I also knew that we didn't have enough. And um, I was worried about kind of like the chinks in the armor. And At least to the public and to me, he was denying that things were pretty bad. But Fab's board members were looking at the company's numbers and they were urging Jason to face reality. Howard Morgan was an early investor in Fab, and he also sat on Fab's board. This is what he was telling Jason at the time. At this current rate, you're going to be out of money much too quickly. You've got to really make radical changes here. You've got to make radical cuts. You've got to change some of the culture, because there was a very free-spending culture for, for quite a while as well. Uh, you know, Jason and, and Bradford were jetting off to Europe a couple times a month and, uh, you know, were entertaining uh, merchants and, you know, and, and suppliers and stuff like that. We've got to cut all that. So it took a bit for this message to really reach Jason, but Howard says that, to his credit, 
Jason acted fast once it clicked for him. And it wasn't just about cutting back on his first-class flights to Europe and five-star hotel stays. Just a little more than a month after that TV interview, Fab laid off 100 employees in Berlin to refocus in the U.S. And they cut another 100 employees, mostly in New York, two months after that. And in those difficult months, Jason's best friend and co-founder also left. Yeah, I reached out to Bradford to see if he would chat with us. He said in a Twitter direct message that, quote, I've put that way behind me and I'm focusing forward. Hope you understand. Bradford's now at eBay. You know, my co-founder Bradford was, you know, my best friend. We, you know, built the business together. You know, um, you know, he he and I did not kind of see eye to eye on um, the the needs for cuts and um, and how deep we should go with the cuts. And it's very hard for him. And where I failed was I should have found a way to keep him on and involve him. Despite those cost cuts, Jason was never able to turn things back around again. After some more layoffs in early 2015, Jason sold Fab to a private equity firm for $15 million. He used that money to fund a spinoff site called Hem that made custom-designed furniture. And Hem never really took off either. Jason sold that company earlier this year. So to recap, Jason Goldberg laid off hundreds of employees, lost hundreds of millions of dollars of his investors' money, had a falling out with his best friend and became a poster child for a startup belly flop. And yet he's still in the game and he's got a new company. So much hype back then, but his new company, he's lying low. It's based in Berlin and his engineering team is in India. But you're right. For most people, you'd think that would be enough to keep you on the sidelines. But really not Jason. That new company, he started just a day after he signed the deal with him. That's, I guess, part of my therapy is just building something. And, um, you know, I, 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 I love designing products. I love figuring out use cases uh, and acknowledging that, you know, when it comes to turning it into a business, that I have to make sure to avoid the missteps that we have with Fab. What about for you? I mean, what about your, your family and friends, your new life in Berlin? Um, how are you, how are you doing just in terms of personally coping with everything? You know, obviously, you know, from on a, on a, on a friend standpoint, you know, I got divorced from Bradford basically, right? And so that, you know, and then we were friendly now. It took us a while to be able to talk to each other. And, you know, we've seen each other a few times and we have a lot of friends in common, but, you know, the relationship is hard for it to ever be the same. And I think, you know, we... We have we developed a mutual respect, um, but it's it's you know it's it's not the same, and we're not best friends anymore. One relationship Jason has kept is the one with his husband. He and Chris got married in 2012, which was back when things were still really good with Fab, and they stayed together even in the aftermath of Fab's demise. Now they live in Berlin together. We're both enjoying living in Berlin and um, getting you know kind of getting away from some of the, the kind of spotlight and glare from the kind of startup world. But I say, you know, this year, 2016, is, you know, people who know me really well, and I've, you know, got a, a very good, you know, group of friends all around the world. Um, you know, they would say that they haven't seen me this kind of um, at peace and kind of mellow in a long time. Jason says that more than anything, he's just really sorry that he let his employees down at Fab, and he feels awful that Fab's investors never made a return on their investments. But Howard Morgan, who's that Fab investor and board member we heard from earlier, says he doesn't regret investing in Fab. 
but I don't regret I don't regret doing it because we have to swing for the fences in order to, to get the big wins that we get. We were the first people in Uber. We're the first people in Blue Apron. I mean, you know, so we, we've had we had some some of our successes as well. Howard Morgan even invested his personal money in the startup that Bradford Shellhammer started after he left Fab. I asked him if, given the opportunity, he would invest in Jason's new startup too. Uh, well, first round won't because the idea uh, conflicts with another one of our companies. So, uh, but I would invest in Jason again, absolutely. Because you feel like he's I, learned. I, I I know that he's learned. I mean, I see what he's trying to do with with, with Depot. Uh, and not, not only has he learned, but he's uh, quite a bit humbler. I, I think, uh, and he still has the skills to, to design great products and to motivate people to join him in, in the effort. The stories are really a great commentary on Silicon Valley and how it perhaps doesn't celebrate failure as much as it says, but it tolerates failure. And an entrepreneur can drive a company into the ground, can fail very visibly, and yet there's always a second chance. There's going to be someone out there who believes that he or she has learned from their mistakes and deserves to try it again. Well, failure in Silicon Valley is actually widely celebrated. You see see posters on Facebook's wall saying, um, move fast, break things, fail fast, fail often. You have entrepreneurs who write these heartfelt medium posts about what they learned after they had to shut the lights off at their startup. And, and this failure is unique because of how, how big it was, but it, it doesn't make it any less a part of the Silicon Valley culture where we all sort of feel like if you're going to take these big risks, some things aren't going to work out. And actually more than 90% of startups fail. But let me ask you this. So let's go back to where we started the show. 2013, you're seeing him in the Bloomberg offices. Uh, you're presenting him all these uh, internal emails and documents from the company, and he's trying to persuade you not to run the story. Is he n- now fast forward to today? Do you think he's still spinning you in terms of how he says he's learned and he says he's moved on and and um, you know is much more humble? I mean, I think I think any any time you go through something like that, you kind of have to force yourself to learn if you're going to have the confidence to go out there and do something again. But what I will say is. Oh my gosh, in reporting for this podcast and in reporting on Jason in the past, there are so many people who will not, cannot, refuse to forget times that he's he's spun them or lied to them or, or screwed them over. And, and so I think after a while, it, it becomes difficult to to believe. And I, th- I think, you know, even for Jason himself, he has to pick himself back up. And for you personally, are you still skeptical? It's my job. Are there days where I'm like, you know, gosh, I'll never, you know, I'll never work again. And, you know, who's want to hire this guy or invest in this guy? And yeah, but not too much. I mean, I think for the, for the most part, you know, I, I take the attitude of, you know, I, I think that I have some talents and I have some flaws and I need to prove to myself and to others that the talents can overcome the flaws and that I can improve on the flaws and, um, and be successful. And that's what I'm setting out to do right now. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on iTunes or any of the great podcast apps out there and leave us a rating and review. That goes a long way in getting our show in front of more people. And tell us what you thought of today's show. You can talk to me on Twitter at at Brad Stone, Sarah's at Sarah Fryer, and you can follow our whole tech team at at Technology. 
This episode was produced by Liz Smith and Aki Ito. Aaron Black assisted with recording. My print story, which I hope you'll check out on our beautiful newly designed tech page at bloomberg.com tech, was edited by Emily Busso. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.